0: Hey everyone! Nate! Veronica! And Lauren here! From Foodies Watching Movies! Make sure to tune in every other Wednesday! For a podcast that's got tasty food talk! And epic movie discussions! Right here on the Journey Into Comics Network at JourneyIntocomics.com! Hungry for more? Go to the Journey Into Comics Network Patreon! For early access and exclusive content at patreon.com backslash Journey Into Comics! Following is a Journey to Comics Network production. From the suburbs of Chicago and Illinois, this is The Poor Report with your host, Andrew Poore. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode 48 of The Poor Report. I am your host, Andrew Poore, and I want to thank you for joining me here on another... Great day, a good way to start off with your work week. We are unwinding from the events of last week's Comic-Con and all that news. It's been a week out from the Trump-Putin debate. It's been a little bit interesting with all the events that have been going on around the world. And in our hearts is geeks on the to Comics Network or people that are just interested in what's going on outside. And Nate talked about this briefly, or not really briefly, Nate talked about this quite a bit on uh, yesterday's uh, JIC. Um about the james gunn firing so i found an article that i thought would be worth talking about because i kind of got to play a little bit of devil's advocate on this because as much i disagree with the fact that james gunn shouldn't be fired for something that happened well before he got hired on and if any company uh worth their salt would have done the due diligence of looking into their past before hiring him and it's the only reason they did this because now it's in the public consciousness, and they're worried about their brand, and they're, like, limiting themselves. They're kind of in that Roseanne situation where they saw something that was going to cause a PR nightmare, so they chose to eliminate it outright. And since they for Roseanne, they kind of do it for James Gunn, which is unfortunate, but that's kind of the world we're living in now. It's a lot of hasty responses for actions without knowing the full details or all the background information on that. So this is an article from Vulture from... Uh, earlier today, uh, Disney should know the difference between James Gunn and Roseanne, which is a pretty obvious question. So, last Friday, the Walt Disney Company abruptly severed its professional relationship with, with writer director James Gunn. Gunn's third movie for the company, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, was to start production this fall. His first two Guardians films, or volumes, as they're called, uh, is grossed to combined $1.6 billion for Disney. So this was no small thing, the termination for cause of a central asset of the most successful movie franchise in the world. What ended Gunn's gig was not his job performance, but his pre-Marvel Universe status as a fringe director, internet asshole, and provocateur. His time at Disney expired due to bad tweets. Now, the second leading cause of Hollywood career death behind only sexual misconduct. The tweets and endless gross indefensible in the company's words litany of sick jokes about pedophilia were not entirely fresh news. They, along with entries on a blog Gunn eventually took down, have been the subject of online discussion for quite some time. If the studio didn't know about them already, the the reason can only be that it simply wasn't paying attention. The studio's statement dismissing Gunn did not address the question of how long those in charge have known about his tweets. What apparently caused Disney to pull the trigger was the tweeting of Mike Cernovich, an alt-right self-styled scourge essential figure in the Pizzagate InfoWars universe, who re-unearthed guns jokes and went into strategically righteous how-can-Disney-let-this-man-work-around-children mode. The Guardians movies are cast with adults, but never mind. Practically bleeding concerns from every poor uh, Cernovich later wrote of Guns' tweets, how did you know they were jokes? Cernovich then got to his real point, which is that he claims to have examples of 100 more Hollywood people making pedophilia jokes on Twitter, Oh good, yay. This should be another awesome couple of weeks in the land of everything is garbage now. There are many boxes to unpack here, and the smallest least interesting one is labeled, find a better use for your time and creative energy than making jokes about sex with children. That doesn't need to be discussed, because one's absolute right to make those jokes aside, pretty much everyone agrees that it's bad, including Gunn, who tweeted his regrets about them, and after being fired issued a statement about his wildly insensitive tweets, some of which was that although they don't reflect the person I am today, I take full responsibility and as a business decision, I get it. As Mia culpas go, fine. It's a teachable moment, henceforth everyone should sing like no one can hear you, dance like nobody's watching, and tweet like several years from now you'll be employed by a corporation trying not to run afoul of government regulatory agencies mid-merger. Let your work be your brand, not your needy impulse to shock the room, but it's too easy to say that Gunn brought this on himself, he didn't, assuming there is no more to the story than we are being told from all appearances Disney capitulated without more than half a day's thought to a manifestly disingenuous pressure campaign from a movement seeking to recast an ongoing debate about offensive speech to suit its own purposes. A redefinition that does not stand up to a minute's scrutiny, and in doing so Disney endorsed something far more offensive and dangerous than Gunn's joke that in the sequel to The Giving Tree, The Tree Gives the Kid a Blowjob. The road to the dakedown of Gunn probably began two months ago when Disney, via its network ABC, abruptly canceled... Roseanne, after its start, compared former Obama advisor Valerie Jarrett to an ape, while attacking Muslims and George Soros for good measure. Like Gunn, Barr had a long history of appalling statements on social media, one that was well-known of ABC before Roseanne was revived. Unlike Gunn, that tweet the result in dismissal was brand new, which suggests that Disney was willing to draw a line, in effect granting its top-level talent amnesty for any pre-employment offenses as long as going forward their records stay clean. Barr's support for Trump made her a hero of the right, and of Trump himself, who called her to offer congratulations on her first episode's ratings. When she shot herself in the foot, as anyone who has followed her social media career knew she would, her firing was quickly reframed by alt writers as the endpoint of a liberal media smear campaign. And here's where the problem starts. The Breitbart-Trump-Cernovich portion of the right has always tried to minimize blatant racism, homophobia, xenophobia, sexism, and anti-Jewish or anti-Muslim rhetoric by placing it all under one heading— not politically correct. In their world, only quote-unquote snowflakes take umbrage at people who dare to tell it like it is, the view everything from the MeToo movement to attacks on racism as penalties that liberal administer to those who violate perceived political orthodoxy. The outrage with which Cernovich went after Gun is a calculated posture of saying that if you can get someone fired by saying their words are offensive, we can too. That approach depends for its effectiveness on a deliberate refusal to draw any categorical distinction. It insists on a world in which punishment should be weighed not by the intensity of the offense, but by the noise level of which who are or act offended. Thus, Gunn's comments that a hotel shower was so weak that it felt like a three-year-old peeing on his head, yes, that is literally one of the pedophilia jokes that was quoted in support of his firing, is given the same weight as a blunt force attack on African Americans, the LGBTQ community, or women. If you can't see a difference between a lame gun tweet from 2012 like three men and a baby they had sex with, quote, unro- or hashtag unromantic movies, and quote, when is the last time women organized to support a men's rights issue? Stop being fags. Who cares about breast cancer and rape? Not me. A sort tweet from 2012, he's super interested in not being interested in rape. Then you're either not trying or you're invested in insisting there's no difference. As is, for example, Ted Cruz, who swiftly attached his suction cups to the underside of this news cycle and sweatily tweeted about Gunn that if these tweets are true, he needs to be prosecuted. By Saturday, Guns' Wikipedia page had a subheading labeled Pedophilia Accusations. It has since been changed, but the reputational damage is done. Disney has always fluffed its feathers about how, because of its worldwide brand, anyone associated with its name must be above reproach. But in the wake of its merger with 21st Century Fox, it's going to be responsible for more of what we watch than any other company in America. How the company decides what to punish and what to defend is a question its employees and its customers have a right to ask. And the answer had better be something other than, we'll do it quickly and in a state of panic. The website Deadline Hollywood fretted over the weekend that guns firing was going to cause a free speech chill in Hollywood, but free speech has never meant the right to make public remarks with a guarantee of no consequences from one's employer. It didn't for bar and it doesn't for Gun. This will not be solved by an application of a single uniform principle. Whether it's a free speech is absolute or anything that offends someone is by definition offensive, it can be handled only by examining nuance, intention, and meaning, an approach in which corporations rarely specialize or excel. We live in an era in which any insistence that two things with surface similarities are in fact different is met with instant ill-informed charges of hypocrisy. But a joke, even a thousand creepy jokes that you wouldn't tell at a dinner table in a locker room or anywhere else is not the same thing as the public stereotyping or vilification of groups that are already widely targeted with discrimination and hatred. Sarah Silverman's Quote, I want to get an abortion, but my boyfriend and I are having difficulty conceiving. Quote, not an attack on babies as much as Ted Cruz would probably want to prosecute her for conspiracy to commit murder. Nor does it equal Roseanne Barr calling George Soros a Nazi who turned his fellow Jews into be murdered and stole their wealth. One is a jab, one is liable, one of which Barr later apologized. What the all right wants is to gerrymander the racist, the hateful, the defamatory, and the outright menacing into the same district as the merely tasteless in the hope that the left will shrug in resignation, sigh, okay, we give, maybe it's all merely tasteless. But it's not. And if a company that's all about expression can't draw those distinctions, and worse, if it outsources its judgment about offensiveness to professional internet trolls, how can any creative artist believe that Disney has their back? Now this is an article from Vulture, and it's by, I'm going to find the author because I think it's worth stating, by Mark Harris, who is... uh, A reporter for Vulture. And I think he makes really good points. There is definitely a distinction between... Someone making some... Really... Awful... Tweets... Many years ago. Which he has apologized for... Well before... Disney hired him to do the Guardians movies. And to fire him outright... The same way they did for Roseanne... Within a day. Within hours of it coming to light shows that they're really not messing around anything to blow this deal that's going to bring them billions and billions of dollars over the rest of the company's life, which will probably be the rest of the world. But that's beside the point. Although I agree if they do flip-flop and bring back Gun, it shows that you can do whatever you want, and if the public is enough on your side, they'll just get it back and it'll cause a lot more problems than it will fix. I think Gun is gone. I know people are going to be upset by that, but that's, I think, they made the decision they have to not backtrack because they backtrack and then there'll be the demand that Roseanne be brought back through all that issues of getting her off the show and bringing back everyone on the show but her to do a different show that she's no way producing or financially uh, getting any finances or financial gain from this show that's, Tied to something that she created years and years ago. And we've seen celebrities come to James Gunn's defense... And saying that Disney should do this. We saw Bobcat Goldweight Goldthwait? I can't remember. Um, say like he said worse things. And now his voice is on the Disney ride. Disney is a major corporation that's... Beholden to their stockholders. And the government everything else. as They try and get this merger off the ground. Because if... They say for example... They kept Gunn on. These tweets into light. Fox... And the people on Fox got upset by this and then decided to vote down the merger or pull the brakes on that. That means Disney loses out on all of this potential things that they have planned with their product library and all of this. So they're definitely being very safe. And that's why to the detriment because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, if it does happen even with the same exact cast and everything, just minus James Gunn, will be a lesser film. Even if Taikio Watiti, the guy who did Thor Ragnarok, comes on, even if we see another well-known actor like the Ron Howard coming in to, to go for uh, Lord Miller, or if we see like the likes of The Replacement with the whole thing with Justice League, even if something like that happened, it's still going to be a lesser film. It's still not going to be James Gunn vision because... They can't use him as a source because that's they fired him. They can't be like, well, it's directed by this guy, but it's produced by James Gunn and he has all this input because then they didn't fire him. If he's still there, they didn't fire him. So I think they're better off just canceling Guardians 3 and just using those characters in other films the same way they use Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk in Thor movies. They could always take a Thor sequel and throw the Guardians in there since they're all in this... Space interstellar kind of world now. To even have a Thor, Groot, Rocket movie and just do that, or even do a prequel, the new director, a new vision, doing the original Guardians with like Stallone and Michael Rosenbaum and all of those guys from that they showed in the after credit scene in Guardians two, and do that and do it independent of those. But if the MCU's end goal is to move more out of the world and into space then losing James Gunn is definitely going to be a blow to that vision. But Kevin Feige is still the main visionary, and he will write this ship, even if it did take a pretty big ding with James Gunn's firing. But I still have faith in them, and I still will see how things move forward. But I do... As much as I think James Gunn should have been fired, I think walking back and unfiring him would be wrong. Even if they wanted to, if I was James Gunn, I wouldn't want to go back. They chose... To listen to the voice of the masses and to their shareholders and the PR of it all as opposed to the creativity of their creators. Anyone associated them with Pixar, with Marvel, with Star Wars, if I was a director, anyone associated that, I would be afraid that they're going to, that regardless of how important you are, like if it came out that J.J. Abrams did these same tweets or similar tweets in his past, would they fire him off Star Wars? Who's to say? We saw how fast things can go with Chris Hardwick being this big influential pay- player in the entertainment industry and with the geek world how one how one letter came to light he denied it there's no tr- there's no way to verify that this is indeed fact or it's fiction or whatever he still got pulled of everything that's important to him and he's been quiet we haven't heard anything he wasn't at all at Comic-Con. We didn't see him on any panels, which for the past like decade, I feel like he's been running panels, moderating, do all that. His Talking Dead show has other people in front of it. All of his other stuff. His career is over for right now, and we don't even know if it's true. Like, we've seen... We're in the world of quick reactions for possibly not as severe issues. So, I don't know what to say more on this. I just think we need to be prepared for this to maybe happen again i feel like this is just the world we live in now and like it or not this is just we have to keep moving forward and just hoping that the people that we love and the people in this industry that we care about don't have this past that can harm their future and moving from that to another thing just a couple quick things to talk about like i said with san diego comic-con um it was kind of different than years past we didn't have hbo marvel or star wars there in their cinematic or in their movie world to really plug anything so it was a little bit different so they concluded on sunday because the san diego comic-con is kind of the big comic-con that's been going on since the 70s so 48 years later uh SDCC spent the last decade as a mecca for things that were once the purview of a very specific fan community but are now increasingly considered mainstream entertainment. This year, however, many high profile mainstream nerd properties sat out the convention. Although this may have disappointed some fans, there's a silver lining. It's a reminder that SDCC existed long before the movie and TV producers came calling, and it will continue to even after pop culture turns away from the nerd content. Despite the absence, of the 2018 program schedule was massive. Adidas Tenets has long since outgrown the massive San Diego Convention Center where the main events are held. It now includes satellite locations including the city's library, its largest theater, and other hotel convention halls. Major shows like Doctor Who and Star Trek had headlining panels. DC Comics and its extended films universe had high profiles all weekend, offering panels on Wonder Woman 2 along with Aquaman, which it desperately hopes will be hits. Entertainment sites stream live from the event for those who cannot afford to attend. The Ascendant nerd pop culture of our era is still a major force to be reckoned with and those able to capitalize on it are still riding the wave for all it's worth. But it wasn't always that way. Up until this century, SDCC was a modest comic convention like any other with attendance in the 30,000 to 40,000 range. During those years, nerd properties were their own little fiefdom. Star Trek nerds, for instance, went to Star Trek conventions. Something sometime, something like SDCC, which was first and foremost a comic book-focused convention, was meant primarily for those who read comics. But as comic conventions slowly began came more generalized, SDCC was perfectly positioned for the sci-fi and fantasy boom of the end of the 90s. Beginning around 2000, the Star Wars prequels, Lord of the Rings films, and a rapidly growing Marvel movie fan base meant being a nerd suddenly didn't seem like a thing to be ashamed of anymore. Attendance began spiking at SDCC as these properties held panels at the events. By 2004, the convention had taken over the entire San Diego Convention Center. By 2006, it began to overtop capacity attendance, leaving some to argue that the nerds had lost their space to Hollywood and the mainstream, maybe for good. Movie and TV studios had moved to take advantage of the captive audience, and SDCC's proximity to Los Angeles gave it a leg up over other conventions in places like New York and London. In 2007, Marvel Comics even used the platform for Marvel Studios to market its first release, Iron Man. By 2015, the year Star Wars The Force Awakens debuted with much fanfare, SDCC was attracting close to 170,000 attendees and become a standalone yearly event on the entertainment calendar. And yet, in the last couple of years, attendance has begun to fall back. Some of this due to the production studios themselves. Disney, which is forced forever trying to do everything in-house, now uses its own conventions, the Star Wars celebration and D23, to market new projects. As a result, there was little regarding the upcoming sequel, Episode Nine, at SDCC this year. Similarly, and for the first time since 2007, Marvel Studios, now owned by Disney, wasn't pushing any of its properties either. Some Marvel film properties came, but they were owned by rival studio Sony. Disney set instead focus its modest presence primarily on animated Star Wars offerings, with its biggest panel being a far more niche 10-year anniversary commemoration of the Clone Wars. On the TV side, this was the first year since Game of Thrones began airing that the HBO show was not present. Westworld wasn't represented either, meaning the HBO sat this year out entirely. Netflix, after making an aggressive push in 2017, also backed off somewhat, with its arguably biggest offering being the second season follow-up to one of the biggest flops, Iron Fist. Did these absences change the nature of SDCC? Perhaps. Comic conventions are becoming victims of their own success. Local events have swelled in attendance this decade, with new ones popping up all the time. Washington, D.C., for instance, did not have a comic convention of its own until 2013. This year, AwesomeCon celebrated five years with diverse attendance that hit close to 70,000 people. Why fly across the country when one can attend a smaller and more intimate convention at home? Shout out to Laficon, where the Journey to Comics Network was a big player this past uh, couple weeks back now, and will be an even bigger player next year, hopefully. If attendance continue to fall and production houses continue to find new ways to market their films and TV shows, conventions like SDCC may have to contract to keep up with the times, but SDCC was never supposed to be about prestige TV stars or mainstream contents. Its original purpose was to celebrate the niche and nerdy, and allow every fan base a moment to shine. Maybe with a little less star power they can again so that's a little fun and i'm not gonna talk about this briefly because i know a lot of people already know about this is that shark week 2018 is here uh all this week you can get all your shark week content uh shark week 2018, the summer tradition airing each year on the discovery channel begins sunday night which was two nights ago for those of you paying attention so um definitely keep an eye out for that you can watch on Discovery Channel for the eight days that it goes on. You can go to the Discovery Go app and watch it. I guess Shaq is doing Shark Week. So Shaq, oh, Shaquille O'Neal, the basketball player and actor and all that, is featured in Shaq does Shark Week airing Sunday at 9 p.m. Um, so he's doing it, like with Rob Riggle and a couple other guys. Uh, they're also doing, like, Shark Tank meets Shark Week. and Discovery Channel is really getting into it. Um, there's, like, Alien Sharks, which sounds interesting. Uh... So Naked and Afraid of Sharks. So yeah, definitely things keep interested. I know uh, my fiancé Liz loves Shark Week and is probably watching all this stuff. And I like Shark Week. Nothing will beat the movie Deep Lucy for me or Jaws. But sharks are always entertaining and mystical in some regards. So definitely always fun. But getting out of this to probably why a lot of you actually listen to this show, which is for my Trump-related content. And that kind of jumps right into everything I talked about last week with the whole Trump-Putin thing in Helsinki. So... Here's an article from CNN Politics. Um, this is uh, Chris Saliza from The Point under CNN Politics. Uh, Donald Trump can't seem to dig his way out of his own Russia contradictions. On Sunday, President Donald Trump tweeted this. So President Obama knew about Russia before the election. Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he tell our campaign? Because it's all a big host, that's why. And he thought Crooked Hillary was going to win. I don't know why I keep saying Crooked Hillary every time. It's been two years since the election. You can just let it go. The message seemed clear. The entire investigation to Russia's active interference in the 2016 election was a hoax, which would be somewhat odd given that the intelligence community unanimously concluded that Russia not only worked to meddle in the election, but did so to help Trump and hurt Hillary Clinton. But given Trump's repeated refusal to acknowledge the fact, including while standing next to Russian President Vladimir Putin last week in Helsinki, Finland, it all made a weird sort of sense. Except, of course, when Trump said it's all a big hoax. He wasn't actually talking about the Russian investigation currently being led by Special Counsel Robert Mueller, at least according to White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. He's referring to the claim that his campaign had anything to do with it. She explained to reporters Monday morning. Which, I'm um, okay, maybe in a vacuum that explanation makes sense, maybe, but the context of Trump's last week suggests a simple pattern. Trump says or tweets what he believes, and then his White House staff tries to explain it away, even as he kind of sort of works to undermine their expectation. Explanation, sorry. The result is a president and a White House choking on their own contradiction and falsehoods on an issue. A rogue nation meddling in our democracy that sits at the heart of the American experiment. Let's go through some of that context. Seven days ago in Helsinki, Trump refused to condemn Putin for election interference and instead said that both Russia and the United States were to blame for the election meddling. He added that he had asked Putin directly whether Russia orchestrated an interference campaign. He just said it's not Russia and Trump said I don't see any reason why it would be. The following day, so Tuesday, Trump was forced to issue the rarest of rarities for him. A clarification, reading slowly from a message written on a piece of paper in front of him, Trump said that he had meant to say "wouldn't" rather than "would" in the sentence above. It should have read, according to Trump, "I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be," meaning he figured Russia had meddled. There was no explanation offered for why, if this was all one big misunderstanding over mistaken word choice, Trump didn't see fit to correct it in either of the interviews he gave with Fox News between when he had the when he held the press conference with Putin on Monday and when he issued the clarification Tuesday. Then came an exchange on Wednesday between Trump and a reporter who asked him whether Russia was still targeting the U.S. No, Trump replied, setting off an entirely new controversy. But wait, said Sanders. Trump wasn't responding to the question of whether Russia is targeting the U.S. He was simply saying no. He didn't want to take any questions, except, well, he took several more questions after the no response. Maybe one of the incidents could be explained away by slip of the tongue or media misinterpretation But three misunderstandings in a single week all about the same topic seems extremely unlikely. The reason for all this confusion and clashing messaging is simple. The President of the United States has had a set of convictions as it relates to Russia and their attempts to interfere in the 2016 election that are directly at odds with the nation's intelligence community and everyone else, not named Devin Nunes, in a position to know what they're talking about. Trump is unwilling slash incapable of decoupling these two ideas. One... Russia tried to meddle in the election to help him, and two, he is president anyway. Acknowledging the first doesn't invalidate the second, Russia can have tried to cheat the system and Trump could have won fair and square anyway. Everyone around him sees that, the Senate Intelligence Committee, the CIA Director, the FBI Director, the Director of National Intelligence, and what they also see is the Russian is already back at their meddling, buoyed by the success they achieved in 2016. Even as Russia plots and executes the plan, the White House remains stuck in a neutral dealing with the threat. Because the president just can't bring himself to say these sentences. Yes, Russia tried to interfere in our elections. I didn't collude with them, and there was no impact on the outcome. Still, Russia has proven itself to be a bad actor on the national stage, and I will treat them that way until their behavior changes. Instead, Roche, Russia is choking Trump's presidency and sowing chaos in the country, which is exactly what Putin wants. Which makes sense. Like, if Trump really just came out and said that sense. I'll say it again. Yes, Russia tried to interfere in our election... I didn't include with them, and there was no impact on the outcome. Still, Russia has proven itself to be a bad actor on the national stage, and I'll treat them that way until their behavior changes. If he said that, I feel like the conversation would be over, but he keeps fighting everything about this collusion thing because he thinks that invalidates his presidency, and it may. He could; It could still be a lie. He could have definitely included with them. We don't have all that information. We know Russia interfered. Whether that infected the outcome or not remains to be seen. I still think the Comey letter really change the whole frame of the election. But that's just my two cents. And moving on from that article to another article from BBC News is uh, U.S. President reverses remark on Russia meddling. So this is BBC, so British news. Uh, U.S. President Donald Trump has said he accepts U.S. intelligence agencies' conclusion that Russia interfered in the 2016 election despite declining to date to do so just a day ago. Said he would misspoken on months. So this is kind of a repeat, but there's a little more going on in this article. He said he had misspoken on Monday and he had meant to say he saw no reason why it wouldn't, was not Russia that meddled. The original comment after he met with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Helsinki drew a barrage of criticism. Even some of Mr. Trump's allies had urged him to clarify his stance. In his later remarks, he added that he had full faith and support in U.S. intelligence agencies. Secretary, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is to appear before Congress next week to answer questions on what happened during Mr. Trump's two-hour meeting with the President Putin on Monday. But the damage is done. Does Donald Trump believe in ominous metaphors? As he affirmed his support for US television agencies, the light went to black in the White House conference room. Once order was restored, he said he had been in the dark as to why the storm had swirled around his presidency since his Helsinki summit with Vladimir Putin. It was, he said, because he had misspoken. That was going to be hard for many of the president's critics to swallow. However, even if he did mean to say, I don't see why it wouldn't be Russia, is a pretty weak way to confront the head of a nation accused of targeting the heart of American democracy. What is it, though the context of the president's comments made a simple slip of the tongue seem less likely? At the very least, the president gave his supporters some material to rally around. The damage, however, has been done. Mr. Trump can give as many White House statements as he likes, but on the biggest stage, standing beside the Russian president, he fumbled. All the explanations cannot change that. What Trump said then, the contrary centers on a response he gave to a question at a news conference on Monday following the summit with Mr. Putin. This is an extract from the transcript posted by the White House. President Putin denied having anything to do with the election interference in 2016. Every U.S. intelligence agency has concluded that Russia did. My first question for you, sir, is who do you believe? This is from a reporter. Trump. My people came to me. They said they think it's Russia. I have President Putin. He just said, it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. What he says now. Mr. Trump said he had reviewed the transcript and realized he needed to clarify. In a key sentence, it is my remarks. I said the word... Would instead of wouldn't, he said. The Senate should have been, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't or why it wouldn't be Russia. Sort of a double negative. The U.S. President added, I accept our intelligence community conclusion that Russian meddling in the 2016 election took place. Could be other people also, a lot of people out there. Mr. Trump said the interference had no impact on the election in which he defeated Hillary Clinton. However, he did not respond when the reporter asked if he would condemn Mr. Putin. During the press conference with President Putin, in the same answer as the transcript above, Mr. Trump went on to say President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. And what he did is an incredible offer. He offered to have the people working on the case come and work with the investigators with respect to the 12 people. I think that's an incredible offer. On Wednesday, Mr. Trump sent a tweet that Russia had agreed to help with North Korea, adding the process is moving along. There is no rush. The sanctions remain. Big benefits and exciting future for North Korea at the end of process, the president wrote. He said that his meeting with Mr. Putin was positive and may prove to be, in a long run, a success. He added that because he got along with the Russian leader, it bothered many haters. He quotes. So, how great is the outrage? Chuck Schumer, leader of the opposition Democrats in the Senate, said Mr. Trump's retraction of his previous comments was a sign of weakness. He made a horrible statement, tried to back off, but couldn't even bring himself to back off, he told the Senate. It shows the weakness of President Trump that he is afraid to confront Mr. Putin directly. Republicans and Democrats alike were dumbfounded that Mr. Trump had sided with Russia over his own intelligence officials after Monday's summit. The U.S. and Russia have, long, have been long-term adversaries and remain far apart on major issues. Some lawmakers were also upset that Mr. Trump had refused to offer specific criticism of Russia and Mr. Putin, instead saying both countries were responsible for poor relations. This, to me, kind of goes back to the whole thing of when there were the riots in the South um, with the alt-right, and he said that both sides were at fault. Or there was fault on both sides. Even one of his most loyal Republican supporters, Newt Gingrich, said the comments were the most serious mistake of his presidency. House Republican Mike Turner accused Mr. Trump of having damaged American foreign policy by failing to take Russia to task. He's given the pass and is certainly not holding them accountable for what they're doing, he adds. And just to make things more fun, in a follow-up article, uh, Trump President Donald Trump hopes to welcome Russian President Vladimir Putin to Washington this fall. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said in a statement Thursday, this is last Thursday, President Trump asked National Security Advisor John Bolton to invite President Putin to Washington in the fall, and those discussions are already underway. Sanders tweeted Thursday, hours after Trump tweeted that he's looking forward to meeting again with Putin to begin implementing issues they discussed during their summit earlier this week. The invitation was extended to Putin by Bolton earlier on Thursday, according to the National Security Council spokesman. The pair of tweets the latest indication that Trump is doubling down on his Russia reproachment strategy, even as his approach to Putin continues to draw bipartisan criticism and questions about as to why Trump and Putin agreed to during their first meeting. The Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, and he still so he still doesn't know what Trump and Putin discussed on Monday and was cut off guard during an interview Thursday by news that Trump and Putin were planning a second meeting in Washington this fall. Say that again, Coats offered, that's going to be special. Why does official have not explained why Coats was not informed about the invitation in advance? The preparations for the second Trump-Putin meeting, and in Washington, no less, were the latest twist in Trump's winding road back from Helsinki. Since he refused to back the U.S. Intelligence Committee's assessment of Russian interference in 2016, Trump has altered between trying to quell the political uproar he ignited and seeking to avoid backing down from his handling of the summit. Trump later said he misspoke when he suggested he didn't believe Russia was behind a cyber-influence campaign in 2016 but he's acknowledged that he repeatedly put the U.S. intelligence community's assessment and Putin's denials on the same footing, even giving added credence to Putin's denial. Instead, Trump has used his clean-up remarks to again insist there was no collusion between his campaign and Moscow, while also insisting that it could not be other people also who interfered in the 2016 election. And while he later acknowledged in an interview with CBS News that Putin was responsible for the effort to undermine the election, He only attributed the responsibility to Putin being in charge of the country. The New York Times later reported, and the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, confirmed to CNN that Trump was briefed on specific U.S. intelligence indicating that Putin personally ordered the 2016 Russian influence campaign. Trump, on Wednesday, again reignited the controversy when he replied no, which we had talked about before. On, On Thursday, Trump offered fresh remarks claiming to CNBC he had been far tougher on Russia than any president in many, many years and warning that he would be Putin's worst enemy if their diplomatic engagement does not work out. Okay, I don't see that anywhere. A news of a second Trump-Putin summit soon came soon after the Senate voted unanimously to rebuke Putin's attempts to convince Trump to hand over current and former American officials for questioning. An offer Trump had previously called incredible, moments before the vote, the White House rebuked its openness to Putin's offer. Trump on Thursday also accused the news media, which he again dubbed the enemy of the people, of distorting the summit and pining for a confrontation between the U.S. and Russia, blaming reporters even as much of the coverage this week could focus on Republicans' condemnations. In a series of tweets Thursday morning, Trump argued his summit with Putin was a great success. The summit was with Russia was a great success, except for the real enemy of the people, the fake news media. Trump said, I look forward to our second meeting so that we can start implementing some of the many, many things, including stopping terrorism, security for Israel, nuclear proliferation, cyber attacks, trade, Ukraine, Middle East peace, North Korea, and more. There are many answers, some easy and some hard, to these problems, but they can all be solved, Trump tweeted. Putin had signaled in the wake of the summit with Trump that he and the U.S. president reached several agreements, but neither Trump nor the White House have confirmed any substantive agreements between the two countries. Trump's enemy of the people attack on Thursday marked the second time Trump has emerged from a summit with a dictator who had restricted press freedom and subsequently attacked the news media as an enemy. Our country's biggest enemy is the fake news, so easy promulgated by fools trump tweeted last month after he drew heat for overplaying the outcome of his summit with north korean leader kim jong-un so trump seems to be kind of spiraling and just really wants to be like putin or kim jong-un and just have that kind of power and having the press bend to his every will and that's not going to happen not in america president donald trump is lashing out in all directions as the fallout from his summit with vladimir putin became ever more toxic The Russian investigation grinds on with no end in sight, and its frustration boils over on a lack of progress on North Korea. This is from uh, Stephen Collinson. This was from uh, earlier today. The tensions reached a new level Sunday night when President issued an all-caps threat against Iranian President Hassan Rouhani, who had warned the U.S. that war with Tehran would be the mother of all wars. Trump tweeted that Iran would suffer consequences, the likes of which few throughout history had ever suffered before. If its government again threatened the U.S. immediately ratcheting up tensions. Exacerbating a sense of a White House under siege is the president's fallen assault on his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, who recorded a conversation with Trump about a payment to a former Playboy model who alleged she had an affair with a former real estate tycoon before he entered politics. The controversies raging around the Oval Office underline how the president is increasingly taking control of his own defense, only to dictate high-risk political and legal strategies, but his incessant, often false attacks on special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation also give the impression of someone who fears its ultimate conclusions and is unsettled that his fate may be out of his hands. The most real aspect of the latest lurches of this unparalleled presidency is the intensifying public debate over the once implausible idea that the president of the United States is compromised by a hostile foreign power. But Trump is vehemently defending the summit in Helsinki, Finland 7 days ago as a great success despite lingering mystery over what went on in his private one-on-one meeting with Putin and amid uproar of his invitation to the Russian leader for a second summit at the White House. He is also facing increasing scrutiny about the results of another major summit, his encounter with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in Singapore last month, which ended with Trump declaring he had solved the isolated nation's nuclear threat. Yeah, that's a whole another thing. Uh, since then, Pyongyang has returned to its character as a strategy of diplomatic obfuscation, and delay. The Washington Post reported Sunday that despite publicly taking up the success of the summit, Trump was fuming to aides in private there had not been more dramatic steps towards its denuclearization than North Korean Peninsula. CNN's Kevin Liptak reported Sunday that according to a U.S. official, the president had indeed registered frustration, but he is also convinced that North Korea's continued suspension of nuclear and missile tests was a positive achievement. No one can stop talking about the Putin summit. One week on from the Putin summit, no one can stop talking about it, and Trump's defiance and failure to publicly rebuke the Russian leader in Finland over election interference is spurring unusual criticism from Republicans. The evidence is overwhelming, South Carolina rep Trey Gowdy said on Fox News Sunday. It can be proven beyond any evidently burden that Russia is not our friend and they tried to attack us in twenty sixteen. So the President either needs to rely on the people that he has chosen to advise him, or those advisors need to reevaluate whether or not they can serve in this administration. But the disconnect cannot continue. The evidence is overwhelming, and the president needs to say that and act like it. Still, on Sunday, Trump appeared to return to a previous position that Russia's election interference was a story dreamed up by the Democrats to excuse Hillary Clinton's defeat. Despite saying in a scripted statement last week that he held Putin personally responsible for it. So President Obama knew about the Russia before the election. Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he tell our campaign? Because it's all a big hoax. That's why, and he thought Hillary was going to win. With three exclamation points, the same thing I said earlier. The intensifying saga of presidential misdirection, recriminations, and accusations is a sure sign that a corrosive impact on American politics triggered by the Russian election intrigue is worsening. The odds of it ending in any manner that does not deepen political divides are lengthening by the day. This question of why the president is acting in a way that often seems to further Russian goals... For example, in his attacks of allied leaders and institutions like NATO is driving growing concerns about his attitude towards Russia and explaining why the controversy over the Helsinki summit is showing no signs of ebbing. I think there are no ignoring the fact, for whatever reason, the president acts like he's compromised, Adam Schiff, the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, said on ABC News this week. There's simply no other way to explain why he would side with the Kremlin, former KGB officer, rather than his own intelligence agencies. But Tom Bossert, a former White House Homeland Security advisor, said on the same show that suggestions that Trump was compromised by Russia were a cheap shot. Contrasting Putin's background as a former KGB agent who used penny-ant spy tactics, which Trump's, as a former businessman, Bossert said, We spend our time trying to have a productive meeting with foreign leaders. All the rest of this speculation and smoke is meant to undermine the president its domestic partisan political concern mixed with the same legitimate needs to throw our intelligent forces against the prevention of spying interfering in the United States. Whatever Trump's motivations, there is also anxiety in Washington over his strategy of getting closer to Putin. Even though most observers understand the necessity of communication between the world's top two nuclear powers at a time of dangerously ruptured ties with Moscow, Putin is not interested in better relations with the United States, Republican Senator Marco Rubio on Florida said on Sikina and State of the Union implicitly contradicting Trump's rationale for engaging the Russian leader. I think he walked away from that a long time ago. He's interested in gaining advantage at our expense and to his benefit. And as long as we go in with a very clear understanding, we can engage him all we want, but not under any illusion. Mystification over Trump's invitation to the Russian leader is compounding by the astounding prospect that the meeting with Putin will be in Washington in the fall, around the time of midterm elections, which U.S. intelligence agencies say are already being targeted by Russia. There's also uncertainty about a long-term fate of Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats after a dumbfounded on-camera reaction to a security forum in Aspen, Colorado, on Thursday to the breaking news of the invitation to Putin. Coats issued a remarkable statement on Saturday that he is being interpreted as a bid to keep his job. My admittedly awkward response was in no way meant to be disrespectful or criticize the actions of the president, Coats said. And then Trump blasts Mueller and Cohen. Mueller and Cohen, sorry. While he remains consumed by his outreach to Putin, Trump is also fuming about Mueller's investigation, apparently reasoning that he can use it to drum up partisan fury that will enthuse the base voters he needs to stave off Democrat surge in the midterms. No collusion, no obstruction, but that doesn't matter because the thirteen angry Democrats who are only after Republicans and totally protecting Democrats want this witch hunt to drag out to the November election, Trump tweeted on Saturday night. Rubens better get smart fast and expose what they are doing. The president also accused the Justice Department and the FBI of misleading the courts, following the release of previously classified warrant applications to survey former Trump campaign foreign policy advisor Carter Page. Trump tweeted that the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act documents confirm with little doubt that the Justice Department and FBI misled the courts despite the fact that that the document itself acted as legal justification for the FBI to attain the 2016 warrant. But Trump's attacks on the special counsel pose their own questions. To begin with, his prolonged assault on the investigation hardly suggests he had nothing to hide from Mueller. They also worsen the partisan imbroglio that pays directly into Putin's desire to weaken American democracy. While Trump's ultra-sensitivity about Mueller's looks suspicious, it could also be borne out of an explosive reaction every time there's a question about the legitimacy of his election victory and his trademark insistence on hitting back harder any time he feels he is unfairly attacked. And if Russia-related histronics were not dramatic enough, there's also new intrigue about the case of Trump's former lawyer Cohen, who's under federal investigation amid increasing concern about the president's supporters that the attorney could turn on his former top client. CNN reported on Friday that Trump's lawyer waived attorney-client privilege on the president's behalf regarding a secretly recorded conversation he had in September 2016 with Cohen in which they discussed a payment to ex-Playboy model Karen McDougal. McDougal? Lonnie Davis, an attorney for Cohen, questioned whether the tape first reported by the New York Times supported the argument of the president's lawyer that were no, there was no wrongdoing by the president. But in a possible sign of concern that Cohen could choose to cooperate with prosecutors in a way that could deepen the president's legal exposure, Trump Ambassador Cohen in a tweet Saturday that mischaracterized the FBI's raid on his home and office in April, which was executed on a court-approved warrant amid a criminal investigation of Cohen by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. Trump tweeted, Inconceivable that the government would break into a lawyer's office early in the morning, almost unheard of, Trump wrote. Even more inconceivable that a lawyer would tape a client totally unheard of and perhaps illegal. The good news is that your favorite president did nothing wrong. Our favorite president. even not my favorite president. And getting away from Trump into something that Trump is doing to a very iconic plane. Air Force One, which... Next to the White House is the ultimate symbol of American presidential power and prestige, is being replaced by two new Boeing aircrafts of a cost of just under $4 billion. In the process, the plane's exterior may be getting a facelift that could erase a design that was gifted to the United States by an iconic designer who also had a major impact on American business, including the auto industry. Raymond Lowy, the French-born industrial designer who designed everything from locomotives to delivery vans and automobiles to Coca-Cola vending machines, as well as the logos for Shell, exor and twa offered his services to president john f kennedy in 1962 according to presidential historian michael beckloss the automobile designer from Lowy's independent studio starting with hup mobile in the early 1930s after world war ii Lowy and his chief automotive designer virgil exner made studebaker a contender with designs for cars such as the studebaker starlight starliner hawk and avanti the company's vehicles are widely considered some of the most striking and original designs the post-World War II automotive design era, even though Studebaker itself didn't have the heft to compete with General Motors, Ford Motor Company, and Chrysler. When the first jet, a Boeing 707, was added to the presidential fleet in 1959, Dwight D. Eisenhower was content to let the plane's nose and tail be painted with the Air Force's easily visible international orange, and the sides with block-lettered labeled of an obscure bureaucracy, Military Air Transport Service. Becklaw said in an article in the New York Times that was printed in 2015, In March 1962, Mr. Lowy, who had a house in Palm Springs, California, saw the presidential plane landing at the airport there. That evening, he told his friends, General Godfrey McHugh, Kennedy's Air Force aide, the aircraft, with its rather gaudy orange graphics, looked terrible. General McHugh explained that an enlisted man of little experience was responsible for the design. He had that a new Air Force One was being constructed. Mr. Lowy offered to make some suggestions without taking a fee on how the new plane's appearance could have made more distinguished accepted the offer Kennedy accepted the offer Loewy's oh, sorry it's a really weird way to read it Kennedy's accepted the offer Louie's offer and the result was the striking design with the vibrant United States of America signage along the side that had been used by American presidents Democrats and Republican to great effect ever since the 1960s Air Force one itself had gone through several iterations but the exterior design has remained true to the concept Loewy gifted to the United States back in 1962. However, President Donald Trump had proposed junking the elegant and majestic design in favor of something different as the next iteration of Air Force One is scheduled for delivery in 2024. President Trump confirmed that he wants to redo Air Force One during his term in office. In an interview with CBS that aired last week, he told reporter Jeff Galore that he planned to repaint the iconic aircraft red, white, and blue. Air Force One is going to be incredible, Trump told Gore. Well, it wouldn't be delivered until 2024, so even if Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, sorry, uh, did win a second term, the new plane wouldn't be ready until the present that would come after him. Because that plane, even though it's said to be delivered in 2024, that'll be at least maybe a few months that he could use it. And if he doesn't win a second term, it could still be time for a present after him to choose to go back to the original form and not the red, white, and blue. And I think the design that's been used since the 62 with Kennedy they're pretty iconic look and i think changing that would kind of be a sad transition i think the presidential plane the air force 1 shouldn't be changed that color scheme is iconic as the presidency and the white house and all of that and with that i think i have enough talk about today with trump and gun and all of that that's been going on and i'm running about 50 minutes here with recording so I think that's good for this week. I definitely will have more to talk about with 49 and 50. It will be a special episode where I'm going to have a fellow network member and very opinionated and very great guy, Tyler McLaughlin, on. So my first guest in a very long time. So definitely stay tuned for that. And, yeah, I'll just keep following the news. Keep your eye to the grindstone. Eye to the grindstone? I don't know. That's a, that's a weird thing to say. I'm just a little late. I'm a little tired. But, hey. Keep checking out the news. Keep getting all your facts straight. Don't listen to one person's opinion. Don't even settle for my opinion. Just keep out there. Keep looking. Keep doing what you're doing. And just have a great week, guys. That's why we're all here. Thank you all for listening. Check out other shows on the Journey into Comics Network. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash comics. And you can check out my other shows. Foodies Watching Movies has our finale airing tomorrow. And my other show I do, Adulting at Ease, that I do with my fiance Liz, will be next Wednesday and every other Wednesday after that for until the end of the season. So definitely stay tuned for that and definitely enjoy the week. Thanks, guys.